Hi, everybody. It's Dr. Sandy Laura Kramers coming from Visionary Eye Doctors today. Thank you for joining us for episode number 18. I'm one of the surgeons here at Visionary Eye Doctors, and thank you for joining us for this podcast and for subscribing to our channel and for sending it to friends and family. We really appreciate it. Thank you to all of those who have sent emails and, and have seen me in the office suggesting certain topics for the podcast. I really appreciate that. Today, we're going to talk about something quite complex called headaches and migraines. Many of us and almost everyone who's been listening, who's listening has had some sort of headache in the past. And it is quite a broad topic, but I want to tell you a little couple of stories about this. So first, there was a friend of mine when I was in college that every time, every month, during that time of month, she would be debilitated in her bed for one week with horrible migraines. And that was my first exposure to somebody that was debilitated for such a long period of time. We always knew it was that time for her and there was nothing she could do. She would try all medications. She would try IVs at the time that were available. Not much was known really in terms of what we know now and how to prevent and how to treat it. So she had tried everything available at the time, but she just found being in a quiet room, not talking to anybody, getting exemptions from her classes was the only way she could treat it. So that was quite a shocker for me. When I when I finished medical school, I had a friend also who would vomit every time, you know, the, that he would have migraines. And that, again, was kind of like a shocker. Like, you know, why, what is this you know condition that's so debilitating? And then recently, a friend of mine told me that she has had migraines her whole life. She started when she was about five years old. It would wake her up from sleep and she would wake up vomiting. And her mother had it, her grandmother had it, I think even her great-grandmother had it. So they knew it wasn't a brain tumor. They, were, they knew it wasn't something dangerous. They knew it was familial. It was in the family. So when her son started waking up, I think when he was about six or seven, with vomiting in the middle of the night and a terrible headache, they said, well, it's, it's you know, runs in the family. It's a genetic condition. And so when she told me about it, of course, the first thing in my head are all the classic causes that could kill you. And if any of you have any type of headache and migraine that's new, we want you to see your medical doctor, of course, and maybe even a neurologist to rule out those terrible things that were going through my brain. The biggest one, of course, is a aneurysm, headache, some type of inflammatory disorder. We're going to talk about some other causes in just a minute, like narrow angle, sinusitis, uh, needing glasses, refraction, all the things that people forget about. But for her, it was familial and she knew it. And so she knew that this was not going to be anything to be concerned about. But did he get a million dollar workup? Yes, he did. He got the MRI. He didn't need a lumbar puncture, which was good. But sometimes you need a full autoimmune disease workup or a blood workup. And so it's one of those things that we know that 90% is familial. And so that's a good thing, especially if it's a migraine. So today we're going to talk about all the nuts and bolts if you have any questions, please let me know. Uh, this is something that we see every day here in ophthalmology because one of the key causes is eye issues. And so we're going to break it down a little bit to kind of help people understand what's a headache, what's a migraine. Okay, so I actually printed out in my hand is the International Headache Society's classification of headaches and migraines. And it is about 25 pages long. It goes through every possible uh, kind of subset of headache. And so there are many kinds of classifications within headache and migraine. And so I'm going to kind of make it a little easy for you. So head and for me, headache is usually just the general head component of discomfort and pain. 
migraine usually is associated with some type of aura, meaning there's something else going on, whether it is a visual system issue, like flashing lights or kind of weird sensation, scintillating light or some unusual visual phenomenon, whether there is nausea, vomiting, sensitivity to light, being a little moody, that whole kind of body composition, not just the head is described as an aura. Within ophthalmology, we see a lot of ophthalmic migraine, which means they have visual symptoms, but no headache, but it's still considered one of the classifications of migraine. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. So what causes these things? Well, let's break it down to causes from the eye, causes from the brain, causes from the gut, and then everything else. Okay. So from the eye, we always look for vision issues. So does the person need glasses? That's the first and easiest thing that should be checked. We have so many patients that have headaches, computer eye strain that cause headaches. They come in and say, I get a headache at the end of the day. My son gets home from school. He gets a headache. You know, whatever it may be, the vision is a very easy one to rule out. And the beautiful thing about the eyeball is that we have a good access to the brain in terms of the visual component. So we can kind of tell if there's something concerning sometimes in the brain because of something called a visual field. So if we look at the eyeball and we think of, okay, what could be causing a headache inside the eye? We think of first, you know, so the, the vision component, the need for glasses. We think of dry eye. Believe it or not, there's a lot of patients that have really horrible meibomian gland dysfunction, dry eye. Uh, tear film issues with a lack of water or oil that come in with their main complaint as a headache or a brow ache, or then it becomes a temporal headache. So we think about, okay, so it's a surface is one component, vision needing glasses. There's something in the eye called narrow angle. And you might've seen some of my other videos before. And what that is, is the angle where the cornea, so the window of the eye, if you look at me and think about looking at somebody on the side, there's a window, which is called the cornea. And the cornea kind of connects a little bit to the iris and that it forms a little angle, which in this angle is the drain. So the drain inside your eye, like your sink is called the angle and it can get narrow. Sometimes it's genetic. Sometimes it's due to aging. Sometimes it's due to the cataract beyond or beneath, I should say the iris that gets thick and pushes the angle narrow. And when that happens, the pressure in the eyeball can fluctuate. Sometimes it can spike. And that can cause a headache. So one of the key symptoms that we look for, or one of the signs we look for in somebody that has a headache is narrow angle. So if somebody comes in and they say, you know, I get headaches every day, or I get headaches once a week, I always ask for what's called a anterior chamber imager or pentacam to take a look at the angle. We have now objective data to show if the angle is narrow or normal. Normal is more than 171 cubic millimeters. And if it's narrow, it's less than 100 less than 113. If it's less than 100, we actually get worried about an acute attack of glaucoma, which can mean the worst headache in your life, the pressure goes up and you can lose vision. And we've seen that, I've seen that at least 50 times. I've seen it so often it's preventable and very, very upsetting when it's missed. It can also cause chronic glaucoma, which is blindness. So we don't like to miss it. We really try to catch it. The problem is if you go to the emergency room with the worst headache in your in your life, which of course you should, if you ever have the worst headache in your life, you usually go to the emergency room. Most emergency rooms, I'd say no emergency room has this technology. You have to go see an eye doctor, usually an eye surgeon to diagnose this. And this is classically missed in the emergency room. So it could be not a brain tumor. It could be not an infection of the brain. It could be nothing serious in that sense of the whole body but it could be narrow angle. And so we have patients that sometimes it'll get missed in the emergency room. They'll come see us and we can show them 
this is what it is and we can treat it. So we like to catch that early. So as we move back into the eye, we think of the surface, the need for glasses, dry eye, narrow angle, and then we look for inflammation. So inflammation in the eye is sometimes the first place you'll see inflammation in the body, and that can also cause headaches. So we obviously will rule out any type of autoimmune disease, an infection like Lyme disease can cause headaches. Of course, things like diabetes, when you see that kind of changes in the retina, that can cause a headache. And so we're looking for inflammation in the eye. We're looking for inflammation in the retina. So what we think about is infection, inflammation, tumor. Those are the key three things that we're looking for when we see inflammation in the eye. And then of course, things like endocrine issues. So diabetes and other issues that can affect the retina and cause a headache. If you move further back in the eye, the eyeball is connected to your brain by a cable called the optic nerve. And when we have a patient with a headache, we're looking at that optic nerve. That optic nerve is the only place in your body that you can see a nerve without cutting open the skin. And it's really the front part of the brain. So it's super exciting when people see it. I've mentioned before one of my friends who's an MD JD now, um, she is uh, MD from, uh, uh, I'm very proud of her because she was my college roommate. We graduated Columbia together. She went to law school at Columbia, decided to do uh, medical school now. She's uh, a doctor from Cornell. And when I had her rotate with me in Boston, I had her, I showed her the optic nerve and she literally went, oh my gosh, that's amazing in front of the patient. And I was like, yeah, it is really amazing. It's beautiful. And so to see that live, that brain tissue right in front of you is very exciting. And so you can see if that cable, so it's like a, 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 like a water hose, you're looking at the end of a water hose and there's an inner circle and an outer circle. And you see, can see the blood vessels coming through that little cable. You can see red blood vessels pulsating through the, through the veins and the arteries, super exciting, very cool to see. And you can tell if somebody has inflammation in their brain, sometimes by just looking into the eyeball. So if we see a patient with a headache and that optic nerve, that kind of water hose, that front surface is swollen, we call it papilledema sometimes in the sense that it could be high pressure in the brain. And we know there could be a brain tumor, there could be an infection, there could be an inflammation, uh, there's something going on that's wrong. So we can kind of guide patients to, to do the right thing in terms of getting the MRI, getting the lumbar puncture, getting worked up. If the nerve, that cable, that water hose cable is pale, it's like not pinkish, it's kind of white, there's something else going on too. It could be the death of the nerve. It could be the death of the brain. Something's wrong. The, the blood supply could be cut off. So there's a lot by looking in the eye to determine the cause of the headache. As we move even further out of the eye, we go to the temporal area. So there's something called temporal arteritis. Temporal arteritis is an inflammation of these medium-sized blood vessels called the temporal artery. It's located right here. If you feel right here, you should be able to, if you're kind of quiet, and you feel right in your temples, you'll feel it pulsating. Both sides should be equal. They should be pretty kind of noticeable, a pulsation. So when somebody has a headache, especially over the age of 50, male and female, more female happens more often in females than males, we always look for inflammation in this artery because temporal arteritis is an inflammation in all the medium-sized arteries of your whole body, and it can kill you. One of my most scary times with temporal arteritis was in a friend of mine who at the time was about 75 years old and she was from Spain. And when I was in medical school and resident, I was taught that nobody from Spain got temporal arteritis. I don't know why I was taught. I think we thought it was just a Caucasian disease. So she came in, she had narrow angle. So we treated her for an interest having headaches. She was having new onset headaches at the age of 75 and a very reliable, very, very smart woman. And so I knew she wasn't exaggerating. These were new headaches. 
And so she had a narrow angle and she also had pain right here. She also had a little bit of discomfort when she chewed and the temporal artery pulses were a little weak. So she had two causes that were both positive for, for her headaches. And it was very concerning because you don't want to miss either one. Was it the narrow angle, which was very narrow. She had a cataract in both eyes or was it the temporal arteritis? And she actually had both. So we did the quick laser on both her eyes. The headaches persisted. We got a biopsy of her temporal arteries. It was positive. She had to get IV steroids for a very long period of time and the headaches went away right away. Very concerning because as we all know, IV steroids and oral steroids in older patients can be very concerning, but thank God she did well. So when I look at her, I kind of think, wow, she's a walking miracle because I could have easily missed this one. It was quite concerning. So we think about the temporal artery, which always try to rule that out. Anyone who has unusual pain here, we have to usually think about that. Usually those patients will have what's called jaw claudication, like I mentioned, that chewing component can hurt. Weight loss is often a case. My, my friend did not have that. Uh, wasting here, it gets a little thinner. Not always. My friend didn't have that either. So those are the things you're looking at. So you're looking at the brain. And what are the things that can cause headaches in the brain? So like we talked about before, aneurysm. So the classic is if you have the worst headache of your life, you go to the emergency room and check out to make sure you don't have an aneurysm. They'll usually do an MRI, MRA at the same time, make sure the brain is okay. But in my patients that have narrow angles, and I tell them to tell their children and grandchildren, great-grandchildren, I say, if you have the worst headache of your life, please come here to my office first, because we'll take a look at your pressure and do some studies to see it's not the narrow angle. If it's not narrow, then yes, we take them to emergency room. And that's only happened once in my life when I had a patient literally walk in and say to me, I think I'm having a stroke. And this was incredible because the, the front desk said, there's a patient here who's having a headache and says he thinks he's having a stroke. So there's a great video on YouTube of a neuroscientist who actually talks about her episode of having a stroke. And this is what happened to this patient. He walks in, we immediately do a visual field. It was the first one was almost normal, but we could tell there was something going on. We repeated it about, I think an hour later. And sure enough, he had a homonymous hemianopsia. That means the vision in both eyes, I think on his, it was the left side, had a defect. He sure enough was having a stroke. We called 911. They came here. They took him to the emergency room. He came back a couple of we a few weeks later, maybe a month and a half later, and he came and he said, "Thank you because I we saved his life. I saved his life. I guess we all saved his life because he knew that something wrong was happening. And he was walking, he was talking, but he said something's not right. I think I'm having a stroke." And he was absolutely right. So that was quite dramatic and very memorable. But patients sometimes will, the first symptom they'll have is vision issues when they're about to have a stroke or an aneurysm starting to rupture. So we always talk about going to the emergency room or your ophthalmologist if you have the worst headache of your life, because we know exactly how to diagnose it pretty quickly, get you to where you need to go right away. The second thing that can cause it, of course, is some type of tumor or cancer. We always worry about that. And again, with this field of vision test that we can do in most ophthalmology offices, we can see if it is a tumor, where it's located, how fast it's progressing. One of the hardest diagnoses I've ever had to make was in a dear friend of mine, his name is Father Arnie um, Panula, and we call him Father Arnie. Father Arnie was an incredibly saintly man. He looked just like Pope John Paul II. So we kind of always laughed that he was very, you know, very active and really, really a wonderful man. And I was blessed and very honored to be able to do cataract surgery on both his eyes. And he had femtosecond laser surgery, the best surgery in the world. Uh, he did really great with the first eye and he had very aggressive prostate cancer, though most prostate cancers are pretty sm slow moving. 
So after the first cataract surgery, about six months later, things went really bad for his health. He wasn't doing well. He looked very, very bad. He had lost a lot of weight. People had commented he was very, very pale, which is true. And so he received last rites. He was thought to be, you know, about to die. And somehow, probably through prayers and it wasn't his time, he made a huge comeback. And by six months later, he was still alive. So he called me and he said, you know, I was supposed to be dead a few months ago, but I'm alive. And now my other eyes, you know, my vision's bothering me. Could you take out that cataract? And I said, sure, happy to take out the cataract. So we took out the cataract. Praise God, everything went great. And he was doing very well for a long period of time. And I was following him. Things were great. We were very happy, you know, wonderful, wonderful man. Every time he'd come in, I would have him touch the whole, like shake the hands of my whole staff. Cause I was like, he's a walking relic. He's going to be canonized to saint someday. So make sure you touch him. So wonderful man. And he uh, was just so kind to my scribes. And one time we have this wonderful scribe named Kat who, what he was, she was kind of new and she was pre-med and she was the first in her family, I think, to go to college. And she was very nervous scribing for, you know, the surgeons and uh, father Arnie would say, you're doing great. You're doing great. You're doing really great. And she would tell, she told me this later after he died. Um, but it was so beautiful because he was a really great guy. So, so then he calls me after the cataract surgery was done, everything had looked good. The last time I saw him many months later, he says, you know what? I can't see out of my left eye. And I was like, you need to come in. So he came in, I looked at the eyeball, everything looked perfect. The implant looked perfect. The surgery was perfect. I looked at everything inside the eye, looked okay. I was very excited, but then we did the visual field. And for the first time in my life, I've never done this. I started crying in front of a patient, never done that. And I was like, Father Arnie, you probably have less than a week to live. And I, and I showed him, I said, you know, Father Arnie, you have basically two choices. You know, you can either just go home. I said, Tim, what are you gonna do this week? And that's what I said, it was like a Friday. And he said, well, I'm supposed to go to Arnold Hall in Boston and give a huge retreat for a bunch of, you know, priests. And he was with his, his friend, uh, Tom. And I said, you can't do that, Father Arnie. It wouldn't be fair to Tom because we don't know how many more hours or days you have left. And I showed him the visual field, which clearly showed he had the tumor that was very close to his respiratory centers. And I knew this was only a matter of maybe a week or two if we were lucky. So I said, you can go home and just die quietly or you can fight this. What do you want to do? And he said, I want to fight it. So I called his oncologist and I said, you know, he was on hospice, which means when you're on hospice, you're just getting ready to die. You're not going to do anything extra. You're not going to order an MRI. You're not going to do extra blood tests. The doctors usually, the doctors in charge of those patients usually don't want to do anything more. And so when I called his doctor, I said, well, this is a situation. He has decreased vision because there's a tumor that's already pushing on his optic nerve in the center of his brain. It's probably very close to the hypothalamus and where his respiratory center is. He's walking, talking, no issues, but I can tell this is not going to last much longer. What should we do? And I, I said to him also, you know, Father Arnie wants to try to fight this. And so the oncologist said something really beautiful. He said, Father Arnie is the best example of humanity I've ever met in my life. Let's do it all. So we decided to get the radiation, chemotherapy and all that, you know, trying to trying to fight it. Um, but unfortunately, it was just too late. You know, the tumor hit his brain and there was nothing we can do. And he died within a week. Uh, so that was really hard. But at the same time, it shows you that we can see things in the brain through the eye faster than anyone else can diagnose it. So that was kind of the, a big, obviously, lesson for me personally as well. So we think of those bad things that can happen, of course, but most often it's actually something else, right? So we think genetics, aging, uh, environment. And then the biggest new one, which is a cause of headaches and migraines, which is 
revolutionized the field of treatment is your gut flora. So your gut, we're talking about all the bacteria from your mouth to the poopy hole, right? We're talking about the, the rectum, right? We're talking about all that flora, specifically the stomach, the uh, small intestine, large intestine. We're filled with bacteria all over our body and inside our body. And we know that bacteria is crucial to keeping us healthy. There's a lot of data showing that your gut flora is partly associated with your genetics, big time associated with your stress and sleep patterns, and big time associated with your diet. And we know that gut flora gives us a prognosis for multiple sclerosis, Alzheimer's, dementia, diabetes, autoimmune disease, death, you know, happiness. We know that it's related to your mood scores and all kinds of stuff. So the gut flora is a huge area. And I just looked up on PubMed yesterday how many papers are associated with gut flora and headaches and migraines. And right now there's only 25, which is a lot because when I was a resident, this is completely brand new, never heard of this, this is brand new, but we know that gut flora is super important because it regulates inflammatory factors and there's a whole bunch of them as well as those that prevent inflammation. So we're gonna talk a little bit about what to do to prevent migraines. And there is a lot of data that's coming out. I want all of you to kind of think about, if you have a friend that has a headache or migraine, pass this on, because every year there's more exciting research on how to really decrease headaches and migraines, because it is debilitating. We don't want people having to be able, having to you know, be in a dark room for a few days sometimes. you know. So there's things that we can do. So the prevention is super important and it begins with your daily routine. We know that if you have a standard and set wake up time and sleep time, you tend to do better. We know that if you can maintain your stress, stress levels as low as possible, you tend to do better. And stress is a whole nother component, whether it's prayer, meditation, exercise, all of the above, very important to how do you decrease your stress because that's directly associated with your brain pathways, which is directly associated with what happens with your gut. And so your gut and your brain has a bi-directional pathway. Your gut influences your brain, your brain influences your gut. There's now many data points showing that that is affected in a direct way day to day. So how you sleep, what you exercise, what you eat, what you probably even pray, your brain waves, that affects your gut and what you put in your mouth and goes into your stomach affects your mood, affects your ability to function, your, your obviously brain fog, we know that to be true. It affects your chance of curing diabetes. There's a lot of data to show it can cure multiple sclerosis or prevent these kinds of diseases. There's now data to show that your diet and gut bacteria can help you cure cancer. So this is a brand new world that we're, we're entering where we don't necessarily have to rely just on medications and pharmaceutical medications. We can do things very naturally. And it's not for everybody, but just hear me out because there was some very exciting research on this recently. So talking about just basically prevention, let me just kind of go through this. So we have, of course, things like uh, your diet and we have things like medications and we have, so there's basically three things, diet and general environmental things you can do, medications, and what's called now bio nerve stimulation that can change the patterns of the pain that happens. So with diet, there was a study done in Iran which showed two groups of patients. It was a small study. It was perspective, which was good. It was randomized, which was good, but it was small. I think it was 46 patients per group. And they had some patients that took a probiotic during their chronic migraines and those that didn't take a probiotic. They also looked at patients that just had headaches without the migraine. And they gave one group a probiotic and another group a non-probiotic. And probiotics are live bacterial 
cultures that you take either by a pill. This was done with a pill. Some people eat certain like good yogurt or, or kombucha or fermented uh, uh, kimchi. There's all these types of ideas of what's a good probiotic. And that's a whole nother question. But this was a capsule that had probiotics. And they found there was about a 45 to 50% decrease in attacks of headaches and migraines in both groups that had the probiotic compared to the one that didn't. I haven't seen it replicated yet. They the, the same group did a really good review study recently to kind of go through all the data. There's no harm in using probiotics. I bet you they are right. And there's a huge component of diet. So anyone who has headaches or migraines beginning at age three, four, five, whenever your headaches or migraines start, look into this research. You want to try to keep your kids off chronic medication because it has side effects. This is a very natural way that has been shown to help. So that's very exciting. Things like ginger, turmeric, there's all these videos on YouTube of people that say, I swear ginger with water, you know, cures all my headaches or prevents headaches. They're probably right. There's certain things you can do. We know that gluten, sugar, and dairy are huge culprits for headaches. Uh, things like aged cheese, chocolates for some people can be triggers. So when we talk about diet in terms of gluten, dairy, and sugar, we think about, I think about, uh, one of these world famous uh, neurologists who wrote Grain Brain. Grain Brain is a really great classic book. Highly recommend you get it from the library. Super quick read. This neurologist was laughed out of every meeting he went to. This was, I think, in 1990s when he said that multiple sclerosis was curable with diet alone. Nobody believed him. But he had MRIs that showed patients that were debilitated, unable to walk and had their MRIs showing the classic signs of multiple sclerosis. Then he had them go wheat-free, completely wheat-free. And these lesions went away and nobody believed him until finally it was replicated. The same thing with Dr. Mormon and Dr. Gerson and, and all the doctors you've heard me talk about, the anti-cancer diet, same thing. Some of them were kicked out of their country. Their license was stripped. They said something that was heretical, that you could cure cancer with diet changes. How could you say that? That's impossible. It actually is true. We have data now to show that you can reverse the component of inflammation that causes cancer. So that's a huge component in migraine and headache uh, treatment and prevention. When we talk about medications, there are many pharmaceutical classes. There's ergotamines, there are triptans, there's now what's called the CGRP antagonists, the uh, calcitonin gene-related peptides. So these do work too. And there are sometimes situations where somebody can't change their diet, or they just are going to have headaches no matter even if they change their diet. So these medications do work. They can be injected subcutaneously. They can be taken as a pill. You can now have one as intranasal. So definitely talk to your doctor or neurologist about these options because they do work. Most of these have some side effects, and that's the concern for a lot of these medications. Some of the medications you can't take if you are have any type of heart issues, any type of uncontrolled hypertension. Of course, if you're pregnant, we don't want you to take any of these medications. So things like that can limit the ability to use them. Uh, the tryptophans, for instance, you shouldn't use more than 10 days a month to prevent a rebound kind of headache from using the medication itself. So there's some positive and negatives with medications, but those are options. And then the new component is what's called single pulse transcranial magnetic stimulation, which is in the category of nerve stimulation. So you've heard me maybe talk about acupuncture. I have never had acupuncture done on me, but I'm a big believer. I know it does work. And again, what you're trying to do, I think, although I haven't seen a good study on this, is that the each muscle 
is covered with a fascial plane. It has fascia. So if you cut open my, my arm, you're going to see this kind of white fiber on top of the muscle. That's called the fascia. And the fascia has piezoelectric crystals in it, which is an electrical activity. So it's very cool because you have electrical activity outside the muscle and then, of course, inside the muscle. So when you take an acupuncture needle, I think that's what they're doing. They're really stimulating the electrical uh, piezoelectric crystal in that fascial plane and probably also in other fibers of your body that can release certain peptides, neuropeptides, hormones, uh, and decrease inflammation. So it does work. So I, I think acupuncture does work for many um, patients, things like massaging. You've heard me talk about when I get a massage, I do my kind of classic massaging of my trapezius muscle. I have a pressure point here in the superior orbital rim that always works for me. There's certain pressure points that for me work. I know that's been published with other uh, patients as well, but that does work. And so the new category is physical devices that stimulate either the trigeminal nerve, that's cranial nerve number five, which is a big problem with patients with headaches and migraines. So that trigeminal nerve starts to release things like substance P, vasoactive peptide, this calcitonin gene-related peptide, CGRP, and those are inflammatory factors. Those inflammatory factors cause vasodilation. So the name of the game, the basic pathophysiology, the main cause of headaches and migraines, and I would say for most diseases, is inflammation. With migraines and headaches, it's specifically inflammation that leads to vasodilation of the, of the blood vessels, usually in the brain. And those that dilation can cause afferent nerve endings to be stimulated that causes the physical pain. So by doing anything, whether it is changing your gut flora, stimulating the nerves, using medications, uh, acupuncture, massaging, those things are trying to basically make the blood vessel not be so dilated. And I'm a big believer in this kind of thing. I, I, I tell people that I've had six natural childbirths with zero medication. And the reason is because I found a way to help with the, uh, the pregnancy pain. Not This is not for everybody, but it worked for me. And I know a lot of people that have done this. So of course you're breathing and doing like your Lamaze stuff. So I'm a big believer in this kind of electrical stimulation just from personal experience. I've mentioned to you before, like I do the massaging, like I mentioned, I've had six natural childbirths and all of them without any medication. And the way I got through it is by using either very, very uh, kind of strong massager that has heat and massaging the back area, which back pain for me, and I think for most of my friends was the worst of the pregnancy and delivery component. And then my husband would kind of hit me really hard in the back in this location. I don't have kidney problems, so it was probably safe, but you should check with your doctor if you do this. And this is during the labor. And so I was breathing. If he would hit me there, it would just take my mind away from the pain of what was, you know, was being delivered. So that was very helpful. And so we have some data to show that those kinds of kind of repetitive stimulations, uh, you know, massaging really does help with pain fiber control. So anytime you're about to get a headache, think about those natural options. We also know that getting on top of a headache is super important. So I had another different friend who would get headaches every few weeks in college, and he knew immediately when he had to take an ibuprofen. He said, if I wait even like 20 minutes, I'll have to take five ibuprofen as opposed to one. We think the cascade of inflammation is like an avalanche. If you catch it at the top, you need much less medication than if you catch the snowball effect of this huge avalanche at the bottom, you need a lot more medication. And sometimes you need to go to the emergency room to get an IV in injection of something. So we try to catch it at the very beginning. So those are the key components in terms of treatment, uh, prevention we talked about. We talked about the causes. Uh, there's. I want to just mention that it is true that about 14% of the world's adult population has some form of 
suffers from chronic headache and migraine. It's the leading debilitating cause of people less than 50 years old in this country. So it's not a joke. And so if we can tell people that there are these natural things that can help, we can focus on diet, we highly recommend it. So I hand out to all my patients when they come to see me, what we call is the migraine diet. And the migraine diet, I hope I do have it here, is basically kind of a very strong suggestion of what to do to prevent migraines for the future. And so we kind of go through exactly what to rule out. Uh, one thing I wanted to mention, and when you go through the body, what you think can cause uh, headaches and migraines, we always think about the sinuses, of course. Uh, we look at the sinuses to see if somebody has any pain uh, when we touch here or any pain in their upper teeth, we think could it be a sinus discomfort or a sinus inflammation. And we have them usually see their ear, nose and throat doctor. Uh, so those kinds of things. We look for tumors, of course, in the neck, the lungs. You know, we're looking for anything that could cause some type of stimulation of the vagus nerve. The vagus nerve is cranial nerve number 10. Same idea. Uh, we want to kind of control that release of inflammatory factors. And the inflammatory factors, the classic ones, just so you've heard it before, is interleukin. Let me just tell you, interleukin 1 beta, 16, 18, and, and tumor necrosis factor alpha. I just wanted to mention those because those are um, something to kind of think about. And so we have a whole sheet of recommended things to do. So I tell patients, number one, the most important thing, if you have your child or anyone has a headache, have an eye exam. Make sure they check the angle if you're over the age of 40, just to make sure undilated, you got to say undilated pentacam or undilated check of the anterior chamber with technology called a pentacam uh, or Scheinflug imaging. That's basically what it is. And then we have, so the eye exam should check for the optic nerve, the glasses, the tear film, the anterior chamber. That's the key thing. We have you see your doctor, pediatrician, to make sure there's no sinusitis. They will check, of course, your blood test to make sure you have no diabetes, leukemia, lymphoma, all the general anti-inflammatory tests. They'll check for that, their inflammation tests. And then you might need to see a neurologist to see if there's anything else that can be causing the headaches. No, very few doctors are talking about gut flora, even in neurology. And it is quite shocking because there's so much data. I don't think there's any other ophthalmologist maybe other than Dr. Huberman, which I think I have to thank uh, George for uh, cluing me into his podcast. Dr. Huberman at Stanford does talk about the gut flora, but very few ophthalmologists and doctors in general talk about the gut flora. So it's worth your time to look into that as a potential prevention and treatment for your headaches. And that's pretty much it. I think we have covered pretty much everything I can think of about headaches. If you have any questions and migraines, if you have any questions, please let me know. Thank you for joining us. Please remember to subscribe, tell your friends and pass this on. Thank you.